Hello, this is the Young Gunners from the Texas Young Lawyers Association. We cut through the noise and discuss practical tips and challenges facing new attorneys in Texas and the United States. In this episode, I am your host, Rebecca Patterson Linehan. I am an assistant district attorney and trial team chief in the Midland County District Attorney's Office and currently serve as the District 17 representative on the board of directors for the Texas Young Lawyers Association. Today, I'm talking with Tim Flathers, the first assistant district attorney here in Midland County, about effective use of objections in court. Tim, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. So, Tim, tell us a little bit more about you and where all you have worked and what you've done in your career. I'm the first assistant district attorney for Midland County at this time, and I've been in that position for about three years. Uh, Prior to that, I was a trial team chief in the office, and prior to that, I was a prosecutor in the office and continue to try cases today. I believe I've done somewhere in excess of 150 felony jury trials. Before coming to work for the district attorney's office, I was also a staff attorney for the Texas Department of Public Safety and participated in an uncountable number of hearings, things on behalf of the department. So is it fair to say that you've made a a number of objections in court over the course of your career as a lawyer? Yes, that would be fair to say. So just to start with, um, what is an objection? An objection is the mechanism that a lawyer has to use in order to bring to the court's attention that the opposing party is either getting ready to or has already tried to put evidence in front of the jury that's not admissible for some reason. And so are there any requirements to making an objection? Yes, objections have to first be specific. Uh, You can't preserve error. In other words, you can't give the court a basis to rule on the objection either correctly or incorrectly unless you have stated with specificity what the objection is. In other words, what is it the other side's doing that the judge should stop or correct? And if you have not given the judge sufficient uh, specificity in order to make that decision, then the court can't rule properly on the objection. And if the court rules the wrong way, then the appellate court would not be able to correct that because the court wasn't given the opportunity to correct it. So the first thing that uh, must be done is to make sure that any objections are made clearly and specifically to give the trial court notice of what the error is that you're trying to prevent or correct. Are there any other requirements? Anything else you need to make sure that your objection accomplishes? Objections need to be timely. In other words, once the proverbial uh, horse is out of the barn, it's uh, not sufficient to object at a later time when the court can't really do anything to correct it. So if the error or the uh, thing the other side has done that is objectionable comes out and opposing counsel waits for, uh, you know, an inordinate amount of time before that objection is made, in other words, longer than it takes for the court to be able to actually come back and correct that error with the jury or overrule or sustain that objection, then you have not given the court the opportunity to act at the appropriate time. And so timeliness is the other critical factor when it comes to making an objection to make sure that it's brought up at the correct time, which is at the time it's happening, so that the trial court is then able to actually do something about it. And so that's another critical aspect of preserving an objection and uh, preserving error for an appeal if the trial court rules the wrong way. And so there can be objections to a number of things. I know you can object to the admission of evidence. You can object to testimony that's 
ongoing. Um, do you think there's any way to prepare for objections beforehand? Obviously, it's very important to have always done your homework and prepared thoroughly for each witness and any evidence that you anticipate being admitted, whether you've learned of it through discovery or whether it's something that's brought to court that you've just seen for the first time. But uh, you must have an idea in your head ahead of time as best as you can of what exhibits and what evidence the opposing party would uh, likely introduce so that you would have had time to anticipate that ahead of time, plan a strategy for what needs to be objected to, and also have research time so that you can provide the judge with case law to support your position if that's necessary. So that's critical to uh, making sure that you're not caught flat-footed in court and that you are able to give the court all of the support it needs to rule correctly. How important is it to have case law supporting your position or supporting the admission of a certain piece of evidence? It's essential whenever possible to make sure that you have case law support because you want to make sure you can give the judge everything the court needs to rule for you if that's the correct ruling and the court's going to make that ruling Uh, because the court uh, will base its decision on whatever information is available to it at the time and if counsel has not provided the court with the relevant case law then at that point Uh, the court really doesn't have a basis to rule correctly. And so at that point, if you have not provided the court with the case law, and the best practice would be to go ahead and cite any case law on the record to make sure that it's clear that you've provided the court with the case law. If that doesn't happen and the court rules adversely, then that could prejudice your ability later on to preserve that error for appeal. In terms of practical tips, would you recommend bringing cases with you to court or any other types of support for your objections into the courtroom with you? Absolutely. Cases and rules that you anticipate needing to cite to the court on a particular piece of evidence. And again, if you've prepared ahead of time, then you should know if the opposing side has critical evidence that you anticipate them presenting and you know that it's going to be problematic from an evidentiary standpoint, then you would have no reason not to bring full support for your position, case law, rules, the statute, whatever it is that you need to marshal in order to get that in front of the trial court at the time the court needs to make the critical decision of letting your evidence in. Once the evidence comes in, then it's going to be too late to do anything about it. So talking specifically about being in a trial court um, in front of a jury, what would happen if, let's say, the defense objects to your piece of evidence in a way that you didn't expect. They object to something that you didn't prepare for or brought you case law that you'd never seen before. What would you recommend you do at that point? Well, at that point, obviously, you do the best that you can. And if the court rules adversely to you, then it's critical if your evidence is excluded to make sure that you make an offer of proof to the court. And so that way you have that evidence uh, preserved And so that even if it doesn't get into evidence at the trial, it's then preserved for appellate review later so that uh, the appellate court has some idea of what you were trying to offer. If the trial court ruled incorrectly against you, then it's critical to make sure that you have that evidence available to the appellate court to review it when they take a look at that decision later. In your years of experience, have you found that if it is something like that, it is something that has caught you flat-footed or it's a case that you've never heard of, um, do most judges allow you an opportunity to maybe go review that citation, go review that case, or do further research while you're in the middle of trial, or just, does it just depend on the judge? It always is going to depend on the judge. I think most judges, to be fair to both sides, 
will, uh, if there's, uh, unless it's just a basic element of black letter law that everybody ought to know, if it's something that you have not been given notice of ahead of time, then I think most judges are going to give you at least some time to try to look for the correct answer to that. The court, I, I, assume, I believe most judges reasonably want to be fair to both sides. And so I think the court, if you have information that can help them, is going to want to give you the chance to get that and present it to them. But there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. So it's best to do everything you can ahead of time to make sure that you have that those resources available to provide to the court and not expect to be given extra time uh, regardless of the situation. So talking about an objection that uh, you have made against something that the other side has done, is there any specific process that you need to follow to make sure that that error is preserved for any possible future appeal? Yes, the important thing to remember when you're talking about the preservation of error and objections is that you always have to proceed until you get an adverse ruling. If the court rules in your favor, then from the standpoint of the party making the objection, the court's done what's been asked of it. And so at that point, there can be no error from the standpoint of the party making the objection. But if the objecting party makes the objection and feels that the evidence has you know, prejudiced the jury by whatever portion of it they have been able to glean before the court ruled on the objection, then it's important to continue forward uh, first asking for a jury instruction at the time that the evidence is presented and then also including a jury instruction on that evidence in the court's charge later. And then if that uh, instruction is granted, then of course there's nothing to complain about. But it, again, if it appears that the evidence has been so prejudicial that the instruction can't even cure it, the next step would be to ask for a mistrial. And upon the court either granting or denying the mistrial, if the mistrial is denied, then at that point the objecting party uh, would have preserved that uh, error all the way up through the process of that particular piece of evidence for the purposes of appeal. Now, in terms of evidence that you intended to present that the other party has objected to and presumably the court has excluded, what can you then do to make sure that your error is preserved for appeal in terms of getting that evidence in front of the appellate court? An offer of proof is necessary in order to make sure that that evidence uh, is on the record. Again, that's just a matter of requesting the court, and the court may decide to allow you to do it right then or at the next break, or they may even wait until the end of trial. But whether it's a witness's testimony or a piece of physical evidence, an offer of proof has to be made at that point so that there is an appellate record later on that can be considered in reviewing the court's decision to exclude your evidence. So do you have any advice for our young lawyers about strategies for making effective objections in the courtroom? Well, it's always important to keep in mind exactly why you're objecting to a piece of evidence. Obviously, if it's a piece of evidence that's not admissible, and if it's a piece of evidence that uh, is harmful to your uh, position, then you want to make sure that that evidence doesn't get in front of a jury or in front of a court, for that matter. And so it's important to object when you genuinely want to keep evidence out that shouldn't be in front of a jury and isn't legally proper. At the same time, you should always keep in mind that uh, as far as a jury is concerned and possibly even a court, the objecting is an attempt to prevent them from seeing something. It's hiding something from them. And there may be completely valid legal reasons that that evidence shouldn't be before the jury. 
but jurors often aren't going to understand what those legal reasons are. And so in the mind of a juror, when you try to keep evidence from being brought to them, you're hiding something from them. And so it's very important to make sure that you're judicious in your use of objections with the understanding that attempting to keep something from the jury is going to be perceived as hiding it from them and could adversely affect your uh, client's case in court if you have convinced the jury that you're trying to deceive them or somehow keep evidence that they need to see from being in front of them. So juries always have a presumption in favor of seeing everything that they possibly can in a case. And anytime you prevent that from happening, there's always the possibility that the jury is going to hold that against the objecting party. Uh, to what degree that happens is going to vary depending on who is in the jury box. But the bottom line is to always keep in mind that objecting to evidence is keeping that evidence from being in front of the jury, and you certainly don't want to do it to the degree that the jury begins to resent you for hiding evidence. Uh, we don't want to make a jury mad at you, and so that's an important thing to keep in mind just philosophically in objecting. You know, There are many things that take place during a trial that can be objected to, and you always want to make sure that the objection is done in, with the intent of keeping inadmissible evidence from in front of the jury, and making sure that the inadmissible evidence you're keeping from getting in front of the jury is actually harmful to your case. If all we're doing is objecting to point out technical mistakes that the opposing counsel's making, then all we're doing at that point is working to make opposing counsel a better lawyer. It's not helping your client's case. It's not, uh, it's not effective in keeping you know, a judicious effort to keep improper evidence from getting in front of the jury that can prejudice them. And so it's just best to always remember, don't object just to make sure that you're pointing out to opposing counsel that they haven't followed the rule properly. Only object when it's necessary in order to keep genuinely prejudicial evidence from getting in front of the jury improperly. Can you think of an example of something that could be objected to that maybe you shouldn't object to because of the way that it might make you appear to the jury? Again, you know, very technical objections uh, and objecting to leading questions unless the opposing counsel is just genuinely testifying. You know, objecting to very technical aspects of the predicate when it really isn't going to ultimately affect the admissibility of the evidence. Things like that, again, are the kinds of things that irritate jurors, they irritate judges, uh, they irritate opposing counsel, probably not to your benefit. And they don't really accomplish anything. And so it's, it's important just to make sure that your objections are effective and not just petty. Because it seems like even though the way you appear to the jury shouldn't affect their deliberation, shouldn't affect their verdict, if they do start to resent you for making extra objections you didn't have to make, that could ultimately affect their verdict. Well, in many cases, that how they perceive you is going to be how they perceive your client. And in many cases, that can make all the difference in the world in the credibility of your case. And so anything that you do needlessly to antagonize a jury is not going to be to your benefit. Do you have any advice for how to handle an attorney on the opposing side that doesn't view objections that way? Um, maybe they start to make the same objection over and over again, or they start to object to every single time you open your mouth to say something, how to handle that in the courtroom and still come across as not flustered or not perturbed. The only way you can handle situations like that is just with patience and grace. Uh, the court, uh, if it's doing its job, the court should uh, deny any improper objections 
And in those situations, if the opposing counsel is just persistent about it, then they're not going to do any favors for themselves with the jury. And I think if the jury sees you, you know, withstanding the withering, you know, attack of uh, baseless objections, then that's going to be to your credit. So as long as you don't lose your cool, as long as you're patient, make sure that you're very firm in asserting you know, your position and why the objection is unfounded, and do that as many times as you need to. At some point, uh, almost all judges will shut opposing counsel down and prevent them from belaboring that kind of thing. And if they don't, then I think in either event, that only helps you and hurts them. And so the important thing is just keep your cool. It's not going to help anybody to try to engage in some kind of tit-for-tat with opposing counsel if they're making baseless objections. Certainly never retaliate in the same way. As long as the uh, jury can see or the court can see that you're doing what you can to follow the rules and if opposing counsel is not interested in that, then ultimately that will uh, hurt their case and help yours. Can you think of any common misconceptions amongst attorneys of objections that aren't really objections? Well, it's always important to understand the Texas rules of evidence before you go to make objections. You know, objections that... uh, aren't found in the rules of evidence uh, are not going to be sustained by most judges. Uh, One of the common uh, objections that people see made on courtroom TV shows and in movies is the objection asked and answered. Uh, Nowhere in the Texas rules of evidence does it say that you can't ask the same question twice. Now there is an objection that's appropriate when evidence and testimony is unduly repetitious and you may be able to get a court to sustain that objection if it's appropriate. Although I think courts are reluctant to do that unless the, the evidence is, is literally just berating the jury with the same thing over and over again. But trying to use the objections like asked and answered that don't really have a basis in Texas law but sound like things that people on TV shows and movies say, number one, it's not going to preserve error. It's probably not going to actually get the evidence excluded, and it's going to signal to everybody in the courtroom that you're not a serious attorney and that you're not experienced and don't understand the rules. So it's just important to make sure that you have a distinction between things that are actually objectionable under the rules and things you may have heard of on television that may not have anything to do with what happens in a real courtroom. So in sum, you have to make sure that your objections you're making are specific, make sure that they are timely, and then make sure that you're doing everything you need to do to preserve that appeal, whether it's getting the adverse ruling from the court or putting the offer of proof on the record to make sure that an appellate court could properly consider your objection or the objection to you. Exactly. The key to making objections, again, is to make them effective, to keep genuinely improper evidence that's prejudicial from getting in front of the jury or from getting in front of the court, and then ultimately if the court makes the wrong decision, to make sure that the appellate court has the tools that it needs in order to correct that whatever degree they can. Any other advice for our young attorneys as they go into the courtroom for the first time? It's just remember what objections are for. Use them judiciously, but make sure that you're using them at the appropriate time that they need to be used to protect your case. Well, Tim, thanks again for being with us. Uh, Thank you all for listening to Young Gunners from the Texas Young Lawyers Association. If you like our show and want to check out other episodes, they're available on our website, tyla.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you have a topic you want to hear about, email us at tyla at texasbar.com or send us a tweet at at texyounglawyers using the hashtag younggunners. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. We hope to see you back here for another episode. Thank <laughs> you.